Welcome back to another episode of the Rankable Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank, and I'm hyped today. I am super excited to talk to a gentleman who I respect so much. I mean, he's been in the game. We're talking to Ryan Law. He's the director of content marketing at HREFs. He's over at Animals for a hot minute. Yeah, a little more than a hot minute. But over the past 13 years, Ryan's been a writer, content strategist, team lead, marketing director, VP, CMO, agency co-founder, you name it. He's actually the creator of two fantasy novels, two writing courses, and many more. Actually uh, purchased his editing course, which transparently halfway through, so good. It's one of those courses, especially in the digital space. It's so important for you to read. So highly recommend that. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Ryan. How you doing, man? No, I'm doing so well now. I think everyone needs a hype man like you in their lives. That was the most effervescent and you know glorious introduction I've ever had ever, I think. Well, I mean, you've been working hard. You deserve it. I mean, it's, you know, decades, decades of work. It's not like you just like show up out of nowhere with a bag of tricks like Mary Poppins. And before we even dive in, because you and I, you know, we're both obsessed with obviously quality content marketing, the the direction of content marketing, generative AI. But so you, you actually relevant to AI, you've written two books about the end of the world. Yeah, I'm, yeah I've been fascinated with that. That's kind of like this uh, undercurrent of my entire life. You know, what happens when you break the rules of the system and things fall apart and the chaos emerges? Um, it's fun, you know, trying to do that in SEO sometimes. And it's also fun writing about that in fiction. Well, as a futurist, like, do you believe that we're more like, here's the question. Do you think we're more likely to go in the direction of a utopia or a dystopian society based on our current trajectory? Oh man, that is a hard question. Um, in some ways, I'm a massive pessimist. Like you know, everything everything we touch tends to get worse. But I also I'm a big like tech optimist. I love technology. I've seen transformative things, even like LLMs. You know, I've been blown away with all the use cases for that. So I don't know. Maybe a utopian, slight verging towards utopia. Things will get better, but we won't be happy with it. There we go. I I think that's very human. That's that's like a very human perspective. Okay, so today we're going to kind of dive into this impact of generative AI on content marketing, the future of content marketing. Very recently, you know, only uh, a week ago or so, ChatGPT had its first birthday, and that was like a very big kind of point where AI kind of entered the mainstream, um, both in the marketing world and beyond. A year's gone by, we've seen so many different changes, so many new tools, so much advancement in the technology. Where have you landed on generative AI content? I um it is a tool I wouldn't be without now. I think um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be in for a rough ride in some areas, like parts of content marketing and search that we are used to doing a certain way are going to be changed and we're gonna have to adapt. But maybe that's the optimist of me coming out. I think it's probably going to be for the better. Um, I think this technology is just too cool and too interesting and too much fun. Uh, and we're going to find loads of really cool new use cases for it that will enable us to do stuff that is better for everyone. Um, so as long as we're willing to go along with that ride and make some changes to our processes and not cling too tightly to the old ways, I think it's probably going to be better for everyone. Well, what do, what do you say to detractors who are completely like anti AI in any capacity? Like, you know, there are a lot of marketers out there who there's a lot of fear surrounding this technology. What do you say to them? 
Well, I mean, I was definitely that person. Um, I've made my whole career as somebody who could write, you know, that was the thing that set me apart from other people was I spent years and years trying to get good at writing. And I remember playing with the closed beta of uh, GPT-3 and getting it to, I actually put in a few sentences from one of the books I was writing at the time. And what it spat back was so good. I had this like moment of sheer terror where I was just thinking like, why am I bothering? Why am I struggling so hard to write something that a machine can actually do a very passable job at instantly? And it's only going to get better from this point. So I totally, I relate to that fear, you know, creativity is this, what we thought was this uniquely human thing. Um, but I think the technology's here. We either adapt or we ignore it. And I'd rather be the one kind of adapting to it and working out where I can add value above and beyond and around the technology instead of being the one that just keeps it at arm's length until it reaches a point where it, you know, supersedes you and you yeah, have no leg to stand on at that point. Well, to that point, I think our perspectives of creativity are really being challenged. And there are a lot of people who are talking about the idea that these LMs are very sophisticated autocomplete, which to some extent they are. But to your point, with the right guidance, you can get some really creative, unique novel synthesis, right? Like that it's it's not like it can't do that. And even, you know, I would kind of say that a lot of um, most of how our human brains work and the things we do with our brains are sophisticated autocomplete, you know, like we, we we don't like interrogating creativity. We think it's this kind of magical black box, but actually quite predictably, you can look at the things you read, the experiences you have, and like the time and energy you dedicate to something. And that will have a huge influence over the things you create. We're all quite predictable in that way. So I don't actually see that much of a distinction between those um, two processes. I don't, um, there's not this magical human creativity and then there's the artificial robot creativity. They're just different flavors of the same thing, I think. And and to that point, so how are you using, you mentioned in your book, there are a couple of situations where you use generative AI. How are you using it in your day-to-day? -day? And do you, what are, what's the level of disclaiming your usage of it? Like, when do you think you need to be transparent and say, hey, this wasn't 100% authentically me? And when do you say like, yeah, like, you know, AI was was the main driver of this content? So my first thought when I was using this tech was that, yeah, you know, maybe I will write stuff and I will publish stuff and it will be AI stuff. And then, you know, maybe I should disclaim it. And that has not at all been how I've ended up using it every day. Um, I use it maybe like 30 times a day, 40 times a day in terms of, uh, you know, I'm struggling to find a metaphor and I kind of describe what I'm skirting around to chat GPT and ask it to interact with me and like suggest some ideas. And you know, they suck most of the time, but they trigger a little thought process in my head that lets me work through it. Or, you know, I interview somebody and I've got a transcript and I want to make it more passable and more legible for myself. So I'll paste that in, get it to break it up, maybe recommend some like, you know, here are the three core distinct ideas I detected in the article. I use it to write the you know, formulae when I'm doing like keyword research, I want to categorize different keywords. You know, I could write a bunch of Google Sheets formulae myself, but I'm not the best at that. So I like, you know, letting the AI help with that. Um, a lot of, you know, trying to come up with visual imagery and metaphors within the articles I'm writing. Uh, again, that's something that is really, really useful to have AI to help with. I'll describe something and I'll say, you know, what is a type of uh, data visualization that might help me make this point? And it can even draw some stuff now as like a starting point for me. So yeah, instead of being like, 
generating the output for me. It's much more about the input and the creative process and helping me with the parts of that that uh, I used to get stuck with all the time. I, I like that because you really think through how to use it and it's never that raw product. It's all part of your process. Naturally, I think there are going to be a lot of people who do publish raw content. We're going to see a lot more content at scale. We've seen some scandals recently with like these SEO heists and, you know, generating thousands of articles based on someone else's content. Um, how do you think starting now the SEO sort of search results and that I hate to use the word landscape because that's one of those like overused yeah. words in chat GPT, but like, how do you anticipate it being impacted by this tech, you know, over the next six months, years going forward. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. And, um, you know, I'm, I guess I'm lucky the kind of writing I do is insulated from that in the sense I'm not writing a bunch of like what is and, you know, listicle posts and uh, glossary entries and stuff. But the fact remains a huge portion of the SEO content that drives a ton of traffic for companies is stuff that AI can not only do, it can actually do very well. And in some cases, I would say as good as most human writers would do. So I think, yeah, we are going to see a huge upswell of companies uh, publishing, not just like, you know, glossaries and simple processes, but also expanding into like adjacent topics. Because we're at a point now where the marginal cost of creating a blog post has basically plummeted from, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars in some cases for some companies down to virtually zero. So not only does that allow you to publish, you know, a bunch of uh, glossary articles immediately and very quickly, it also lets you uh, stop worrying about strategy to some extent, you know. If it doesn't cost you anything to write an extra article or test the waters with some keyword that maybe you wouldn't have tested before, you can do that now. So not only am I expecting more companies to publish lots of very utilitarian top of funnel stuff, but also to expand into topics that they may not otherwise have done, because why not? You know, if you could be the first one to do that and the first one to get all those rankings, I kind of, you know, there's a bit of a benefit implied there. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people will use it. And I think the incentives are there and they probably should uh, you know, at least test it out for their company. And it's going to make uh, competition is going to be pretty crazy, I think, for most uh, SERPs as a result of this. Well, to, to that point, I mean, it's tricky that, you know, you're now, you know, the 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 director of content marketing at Ahrefs. Do you think generative AI devalues SEO as a channel or is that a the wrong argument? Yeah, I don't think it devalues it. I think, um, you know, our job in terms of the companies we support is to help companies grow and to support the sales process. And if there's a, a technology we can use to make that work better if we can you know more traffic lower cost satisfy more people reach a bigger audience i think we do have a responsibility to check that out obviously the friction comes at the point where you can make decisions to maybe you could generate a hundred articles and have a subject matter expert edit them and review them and make sure they're actually good or you could generate a thousand or ten thousand and have nobody review them and obviously that that's a kind of a hand off the steering wheel abdication of responsibility that i think is probably not quite as cool and that may end up hurting end users instead of helping them do you think we'll always need a human in the loop when it comes to this or do you anticipate at a certain point technology will advance where it really isn't required obviously there's biases and, and issues there what do, what do you think 
I think we won't need it in as far as like accuracy. I think these models will get to a point where they're pretty darned accurate and much more so than the average human. But I think we will always need uh, somebody to have accountability and ownership over the content that's generated. Because, you know, without that, the company pumps out a thousand articles. They're rife with bias. They're inaccurate. Unless you can point to somebody and say, you did this, you are culpable, you have to change this or fix it. Um I think that would be a big problem. So we always need somebody willing to say, like, this was my project. That is the the human in the loop I see uh, being more important in the longer term. And and to that point, in the, in the sophisticated outputs that we'll see, do you think AI will challenge humans in terms of thought leadership? Like, do you think at some point we'll see better thought leadership articles from a machine? Yeah, I think so. Like, in terms of creativity and coming up with raw ideas, AI is going to be far more creative and unhindered than a human brain is. But the missing part of that is the, the credibility portion. Like it doesn't matter how exciting an idea is, how amazing this bit of SEO thought leadership is, if it comes from somebody or some entity that has never done SEO, even if the information is valid and helpful, I think no one's going to care about it because it's not anchored in first-person experience. So I think this is something I've been thinking a lot about, you know, like, there was a time when in SEO, the main focus was providing accuracy. Searchers wanted information to be accurate. That was what mattered. But now it's actually so easy to get the right answer to something. I think people are going to care more about getting the right answer from the right person as well. So the provenance of content is going to become even more important than what it used to be you know, a year ago, 10 years ago. So to, to that point, do you think that there is going to be a push, not influencer feels like a bad word but like the the more visible subject matter expert do you anticipate that becoming more a bigger part of content marketing yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent um like we're seeing this in terms of you know google ostensibly wanting to reward eeat signals you know they want people that have a kind of obvious internet-wide topical experience and um that part of it is really important. But I think people as well, like audiences, they want to go to a person that they know is credible and has talked about this for a long time, and they want to trust their uh, information, their insight. Um, so actually, another somebody you spoke to recently on the podcast, uh, Bernard uh, from yeah. ClearScope, he introduced me to this idea of the like default blacklist, which is basically like, we're reaching a point where we're going to go from like by default accepting most advice to actually by default rejecting most advice because there's too much out there it could be created by anybody there's so many misaligned incentives so the question then becomes how do you escape that default blacklist and i think going to people and brands that are trusted known entities that are authoritative on a particular topic that's going to become more important so we've seen the kind of waning i think of um, you know online publishers and how important they are but I think they might see a bit of a resurgence there as people know they can trust that that content has been vetted by people that have a skin in the game, basically. What's really interesting about that to me is to some extent, that's also a problem right now. We see from the DOJ, uh, AJ Cohn had a great article about brands benefiting from real world affinity that like the Forbes of the world, people will click on that because they recognize the brand, even if they're not the best source of information for, you know, the best mattress out there. Do you think Google will make an adjustment? Because that's that's coming a, a lot in conversation. Do you think the right brands will start to be surfaced or do you think we'll still continue down this path of biggest brand, most resources win? 
I, I mean, I, I, I would, I'm a bit of an optimist. I think things will improve. And I think as always, the more I learn about search, the more I realize the ideas and intentions behind how search is configured are actually very good and very smart and very thoughtful. It's always just, you know, the messy reality of implementing that in practice that is a lot harder. So, you know, I think, yeah, the idea of rewarding companies that have the greatest brand recognition uh, are referenced most other places in the web in contextual ways. That's a really, really good idea. Um, we just, yeah, it is a bit silly to have, uh, you know, CNET ranking for like perfume reviews or things like that. That's definitely like a failing of that system. Well, to that point, what is, I mean, I don't know if you've probably been thinking about with Ahrefs, but what is your ideal version of search? Like what direction do you think Google should go in to improve search results? It's a big yeah, question. It's a, it's, a, oh, it's a good one though. I do... So maybe the greatest frustration of my career is spending a lot of time and energy trying to write uh, an article that is much, much better than the current top ranking content. You know, a lot of the stuff that exists and performs well is on a high domain authority uh, website. It's uh, it's like a Wikipedia page. You know, there's lots of information on there, but there's no structure. There's no ordering. There's no first person experience. And, you know, I spent a lot of time and energy over the years correcting that in the content we create, interviewing people, making sure the information is ordered in a logical and coherent way, filling information gaps, all that kind of thing. And you still don't get rewarded. Sometimes you just don't rank for it. And it's the cruddy listicle that um, outranks you every time. So I would like Google's patterns around information gain, this idea that they will actually find a mechanism for rewarding people that bring new information to the SERP. If they can actually do that, I think that would be fantastic. Um, especially as like one of the reasons I use ChatGPT so much is that you can kind of uh, have conversational search. Instead of putting in a keyword and getting some answers and then, you know, kind of clicking around, you can ask a question that may not make much sense. And you can kind of refine the direction of your query with ChatGPT as like an active counterpart. Um, I would love to see Google do something similar in that vein, you know, like much less binary articles tied much less to like specific long tail and short tail phrases and this kind of emergent ongoing dialogue with the search engine. I think that would be a really cool way for surfacing loads of like broad perspectives from companies and people. That That's going to be like the interesting direction of all this too, right? Is the personalized SERP, right? To your point about conversation, that's where you get very specific. Like if I'm trying to train my dog, I can read all these articles or see these videos online of how to train a dog, but I'm like, they don't know that I live in this type of house with this type of stairs and this configuration. Do you think that people are going to solve that personalization problem or is that just going to be a machine? Like, cause there's not... There's a lot of content out there, and there's not a lot of content that solves the individual problem. Yeah, I get it. There probably are just too many variables at play for any piece of advice to be individually personalized. Like, I'm never going to be able to write um, an article geared towards every content marketer, every SaaS company, and every configuration of that market. But actually, yeah, generative AI can do that. It's this kind of like pseudo thinking it can do where it can take multiple information sources and try and reconcile them into a like coherent answer for you. Um, so, yeah, it's probably a, something to be sold by the machines, I think. Do you think Google will continue to always be this like behemoth of search or do you anticipate a more fragmented search engine experience across like demographics? Like, do you think... You know, you hear people talk about like they use TikTok for search, and that's not a realistic search engine at this point. But do you think we'll we'll see that fragment, or do you think Google will just continue to chug along and be that default source? 
Uh, this is the first time I've ever thought, actually, yeah, like it, it's, it could be challenged over the next few years. I think there is like, public sentiment has changed a little bit. And I do, I do realize we are like very much the vanguard of this industry. You know, we're, we're always like the things we think are universal experiences. We are right at the cutting edge and most people don't think about Google and they don't even think about Google, you know, it's just the default thing on their phone browser. Um, but I actually, I do, I, I got quite into this idea. This is very nerdy, but of like um, building personalized search engines trained on specific databases. So like, you know, the Huberman Labs podcast, people very quickly built like a chatbot where you could interact specifically with his canon of podcast information. And that's kind of cool because you're solving the problem of search, which is like you don't always trust the information sources. And you solve that right from the get go by only including information that you trust. So it's limited to a particular source. So I'd, I'd love to see some world where, you know, that was a bit more commonplace. We'd have like a bunch of different search engines for different use cases instead of just the kind of default behemoth that tries to solve everyone's problems at once. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's really fun. I was thinking about that the other day. Have you created a like custom GPT of your courses yet? Or is that something that you anticipate doing? I mean, no, I've not thought about that, but that is a cracking idea. So, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like at some point they'll release a store and people will try to monetize these like personal search engines. I absolutely could see the futurist me going in that direction. What are you most excited about with all of this stuff? Like, what do you think the next five years will look like? Again, if I put my optimist hat on, you know, I do. There is a bunch of uh, content marketing and SEO work I've done over the years that was not fun. Like It was utilitarian, listicle, what is, definition content. Uh, performed very well, but it was pretty soul-destroying to have to create that. I do, hopefully, you know, that is stuff that will be taken out of the equation. Uh, that would be stuff that is can and should be done by generative AI. There will not be much benefit to people pursuing those strategies. So hopefully we'll... We'll just have to go back to rolling our sleeves up and writing the interesting, hard, memorable content. Uh, and yeah, I'd be I'd be all right with that, I think. More of us have to spend more time researching and uh, interviewing and coming up with opinions and um, putting skin in the game ourselves a little bit. I think that would be kind of cool. I, I was going to say, like, what do you what is the hardest content for you to create at this point? Uh, I, try, I try and make everything I create hard. That's kind of the point <laughs> of what I do. Like, um even if it's like some generic search article, I'm always thinking, you know, what is our hook? What is our differentiator? What unique and proprietary information can we add to this? So interviewing people, conducting research, collecting and analyzing data, um, you know, visual content as well. Is there like a visual counterpart to the written counterpart as well? Um, or like, what is a strong opinion we can anchor this in? They are all I think they all sit within the bucket of still meeting the search intent, but they really serve to like yeah, create content that people actually care about and actually enjoy reading. Um, so everything is hard. And I'm sure the writers on my team probably hate me for that. But there you go. Yeah. But I mean, that that's what makes it interesting is 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 having those breakthroughs and 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 to your point, getting to that that piece of content that you are proud of if that happens, because, you know, we have our perfectionists in us. Before we get to the rapid fire rankings, one last question I want to ask you in the context of search and AI is, as all this is introduced and Google's potentially rolling out their AI snapshot, do you think, I mean, being heads down in, in Ahrefs, do you think the nature of the way we search will change? Like, do you think it will continue keyword by keyword? Or as we see more conversational search introduced, do you think the whole paradigm around content strategy around keyword research will be flipped. 
Yeah, I do. I think it will change completely. And, you know, the way we currently search is an artifact of a very much older Google and a very much less um, smart Google as well. Those were the we learned to search that way because that was how we got the best results out of Google. But I think that is changing already. Like we do have the ability to refine and augment and yeah, converse with the search engine to get closer to the queries that we want. So yeah, I do anticipate that changing. Um and even today, you know, when we target big head terms, I really struggle to work out what people want from that. It's not clear from the SERP. Uh, sometimes you have to create three or four different resources with three or four different intents in mind in order to like actually match everything that you can see there. So I think in many ways that would be a good thing. You know, it would be less uh, less guessing for everybody because more of the intent will be obvious within these longer tail conversational queries, hopefully. I mean, it's it's so interesting just in audience research how important it is to like get into the heads of your audience and see how they search. And like, you know, when we're in, whether it's a, as a marketer or an SEO day in and day out, looking at these and to your point, people don't think about Google at all. Like if I watch my my father search or I watch my, I mean, we've got young kids, so they're not searching yet. Thank goodness. Thankfully, yeah. that's good. <laughs> but I'm sure that they will search in a completely different way to to your point it's like we've almost been trained by the artifact of google to search a different way to a certain way we're they're going to be trained differently yeah a hundred percent and hopefully like that will be better for them i think you know sge chat gpt as a search engine i think it's a better experience in most ways i think it will uh, a few more years of development and refinement i think is probably going to be more useful than the current state of uh, search at the moment it's so refreshing to talk to an optimist about all this stuff because <laughs> it's easy to go in the other direction as someone who writes books about the end of the world. But, uh, <laughs> sir, are you ready to do some rapid fire rankings? I am so very ready. Yes, I would love to. Okay, we're going to put some overwhelming music on the clock <laughs> and a little countdown timer. Okay, here we go. Ryan Loft. Rank your top three of something, anything that you love the most in the world. Uh, my brain immediately went to fantasy book series. Uh, and, you know, obvious number one has to be Lord of the Rings. No other book series has had a greater influence over the, the fantasy landscape, shall we say, you know, big impact there. Uh, number two, slight underdog choice, the Malazan Book of the Fallen. So this is a 10-book uh, sprawling epic that spans thousands of years of history written by a former archaeologist. Uh, it's just the most expansive and incredible, like, you know, world-building I've ever encountered in fiction. Such a big fan of that. Uh, and number three, it falls down a place because it's not finished and probably never will be, but A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, just probably the best writing I've ever encountered by any human being ever. It's just staggering and beautiful, and I could uh, read his books all day, every day. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's like the way you finish a story is still so important. I mean, we say it's the journey, not the destination, but the destination matters. I've started um, trying to write the third and final book in my trilogy. I'm starting to think about that, and boy, am I struggling with like making it a good ending. So I really do relate to that, yeah. <laughs> rank your best seo or marketing win in your career yeah i um i always think back to when i was uh you know like a teenager sitting in my bedroom at university maybe just graduated and um i was 
struggling to be a freelance writer. I'd started doing it at university, trying to pay my bills, managed to get like a little bit of beer money from that, but not much more. Um, and I was chugging away at all these, you know, keyword articles, writing about SaaS and all these things uh, and really struggling. And I had this idea one day that I will work with marketing agencies. They're good customers. How can I reach marketing agencies? So I did this like beautiful ego bait article. It was like the 50 best UK marketing agencies. My selection methodology was purely based on companies that I thought would hire me, put them in there, even created a badge with like a little HTML snippet, you know, like proper old school link building strategy, emailed all of them. Um, and such a dumb article, but like, uh, I, yeah, I basically built a small business off the back of that. I went from like, you know, struggling on iWriter and these kind of marketplaces to actually having like a few agencies to work with long term and thinking like, yeah, this could be the start of my career. Um, so I was just, yeah, really proud of that because it taught me this lesson, which is you don't always have to think about search and content in aggregate, you know, we're so attuned to thinking about hundreds of thousands or millions of page views, but quite often finding 10 people that will buy something from you is a huge big deal. And if you can write one blog post to get those 10 people to buy something from you, you can and should do that. You don't always have to think in like big aggregate terms. Um, so yeah, as a lesson I try to carry with me always, you know, and not get too swayed by the power of big numbers in SEO. I love that. That's why you see a lot of that advice is like to niche down before you expand a lot of times. And you can always expand. You can always pivot. Okay, you are allowed to be biased, but rank yeah. your top three SEO tools. Well, obviously, there's this little uh, amazing, powerful toolkit called Hrefs that I have stumbled across in recent years. Yep. Um, I was genuinely a huge power user before I, way, way before I ever joined the company. Um, and it's been really fun just getting to nerd out with it every day. That's been really good fun. Um, Clear Scope as well. Honorable shout out to Bernard and what he's built there. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with content optimization tools. I think they can make stuff, make content a lot worse. They can propagate the whole copycat content problem, um, but used intelligently, maybe in terms of like outlining and structuring a piece of content. Yeah, very hard pressed to use, not use something like that. Um, and also, yeah, Screaming Frog. Uh, used to use that a bunch in, from like the kind of content marketing perspective, auditing sites, understanding how everything was put together. I do find myself using the uh, Hrefs um, site audit tool a little bit more these days, but you know, everyone loves Screaming Frog. Everyone shall continue to love Screaming Frog as well, I think. Of course, such a such a utilitarian, like useful tool. All, all three of those are actually fantastic. So rank your best SEO trick or tactic. Yeah, this is probably not a very uh, exciting, hacky growth kind of one, but um, I'm a big fan of uh, actually doing an experiment and writing about it. And that may not sound like an SEO thing, but like a lot of a good example, actually, I wanted to write an article about SEO newsletters. And obviously you can just look at the top ranking articles, uh, pick out the ones that are mentioned most often, put that in your article, you'll probably perform quite well. But I thought, how can I do this in a slightly more interesting way, you know, give it a bit of longevity beyond just that copycat content. So I tried to subscribe to every SEO newsletter. I got recommendations from loads and loads of people on social media, um, built out a big spreadsheet, subscribed to every one of them, read like two or three editions of every newsletter that came through. And not only did I, you know, it was a good research methodology. I came up with hopefully interesting, useful recommendations on the back of that. I also built like a bit of interest and um, fun around what would be a very boring topic. So I think generally, yeah, even if it's a really utilitarian keyword, going out, doing something, running an experiment, putting some skin in the game and actually like living the thing you're writing about. 
fantastic um, from a search perspective as well. Like people can tell that you've actually gone out and experienced the thing, like a you know wire cutter interview where they spoke to twenty seven sommeliers and that kind of thing. You know, it resonates, but it really speaks to how you like to make things hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I get it. I mean, the the output is is worth it. And and to that point, I guess ultimately rank what you love most about SEO. The the big thing is is just problem solving. I love that. I've you know, everything I love doing in my job day to day. I love sitting down with some uncertain problem in front of me and trying to work out how the hell I can make some progress on it. Uh, and search is a great example of that. You know, we're given hints from Google about what works. Most of the experience we have to find out for ourselves through experimentation and iteration. And that feeling when you like you crack a part of it and you realize you create something that works and people like it and you can scale it and you can get a bunch of traffic on the back of it. Um, yeah, hard pressed to beat that feeling in a professional context, I think. It's very hard to have that like full level of confidence because it's always a moving target too, right? It's like something that works today, it's not gonna work tomorrow. Yeah, and I, you know, I get bored very easily, so I like that aspect about it as well. I like um, always having something new to work on and struggle with. <laughs> so I would say, like, in addition to your own experiments, what can you rank your best learning SEO resources? How do you learn about SEO? Yeah, I um, well, I have like an RSS reader of hundreds of blogs. Um, I do bias towards like individual people. I find like, you know, quite often they're more interesting, the experiences they have than, you know, brand blogs and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, something that's front of mind, actually, I uh, took the Blue Array technical SEO course uh, as I joined HREF, just as a kind of like uh, professional brushing up thing. Because, you know, I'm a content marketer primarily. I come from, I spend my time in article drafts and I want to learn more about the technical side of things, you know, learning how to use curl to, you know, find out what the HTTP header responses were for articles and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, really enjoyed that. Really good course. It was free as well, which is hard to beat. So I definitely recommend that to anyone that wants to fill in any technical holes they have. Love that. And, and possibly the most unfair question that I asked, but rank the top one to three SEOs or marketers that you most admire or look up to. I, uh, a big reason I joined HRFs was because of the legendary Tim Solo, you know, followed him for so many years. Um, he's the kind of dude that just, he cares so much about what he does, like about HRFs, about HRFs customers, about the industry. Um, and I just, he has such a, a rigorous and high bar for quality as well. I thought, you know, this is the kind of dynamic I would enjoy working with and working with him. And it's yeah, been fantastic learning from him so far. Um, Big fan of uh, Amanda Natividad at Spark Toro at the moment. I feel like she's one of those rare people that's a really good marketer and a really good human being. And like, she just proves that you can be a good human and like be rewarded for that. And I think the more we learn from and are inspired by people like Amanda, like probably the better the uh, internet would be. Um, and just a shout out to maybe my uh, favorite Twitter follower at the moment, uh, Twitter follow, uh, Brian Casey at IBM. I think he runs content for IBM. I just, I learned so much from his tweets. Uh, it's just an amazing, really poignant insight into what it's like doing search and content at um, a huge company like IBM. I uh, really enjoy reading all of his stuff. They're three fantastic people. I remember, you know, as folks following Tim over the years, one thing I love about what he does is he doesn't always go by the book. He he writes his own book with marketing because you you have all these things that you should do. And he's just like, screw that. I'm going to like try this out. 
prove that it works and then double down and not do, you know, waste money elsewhere. It's, it's cool to watch his journey. And, and you guys have a powerhouse team over there. Finally, um, rank your number one cause or charity that you want to promote. Yeah, it's a very personal thing. Um, my uh, yeah, good friend, former CEO, Devin, uh, CEO of Animals recently, uh, I actually yeah, found out she was recently diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. Um, so obviously I've been thinking about that a lot recently and thinking about her. Um, so there's a yeah, GoFundMe to help with some of the medical bills there because uh, I, I am very lucky to live in the UK where we don't have to pay for healthcare because I know it is a brutal expense for people in the US in particular. Yeah, it's an awful situation. Devin is a brilliant, wonderful uh, marketer and, and business person, and her mom's got that set up. So we'll have the link in the description if you want Amazing. to contribute. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. If, if people want to get in touch, where, where's the best way to find you? Uh, yeah, probably Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, thinking slow, I think, on both of those platforms. Um, otherwise, yeah, please come and read the HRF blog, please. I'm spending all my time <laughs> writing on it and helping people write on it. So it'd be really cool if you came and uh, read a few posts. <laughs> hit, hit those KPIs. Find out the best newsletter to subscribe. Yeah, yeah who knows? <laughs> what? Yeah, you got you to gotta find out the answer to that question now. <laughs> nah, dude, you're already pumping out great content. Thank you again. I really appreciate your time, man. Oh, thank you so much, Garrett. My name is Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank. It's been another episode of Rankable Podcast. We're running down to the end of the year. So if you haven't watched the past episodes, check them out. Other than that, you have a great holiday season. Peace.